Good evening and welcome to this Friday's edition of Stockwatch. I'm Zanati Guma and joining me to wrap this week up are Gary Boyson from Rand Swiss and uh, Tamsang Neta from Shiloh Capital. Thank you to the both of you for joining us. Uh, Tammy, I want to start with you. Uh, when you look at the movements this week in the markets, they were largely positive. So I want to know, I mean, ha is it a case of uh, investor sentiment turning around to a more rewarding mood than uh, rather um, a willingness to punish the market? No, I think it's a, it's a market volatility story. I think some shares will be repriced every time we get into a reporting season or a point where we start discovering new information, uh, there will be a repricing of the shares. And I think it's also important to, to recognize that we still have a long way to go in a lot of, a lot of these economic uh, differences. For example, the central bank has raised uh, rates at 0.75%, which is a historic outcome. So there's a lot of other things and factors that are going to play into the markets going in and up and down, which is not necessarily uh, all down to investor sentiment. Um, talking about investor sentiment towards the earnings that we've seen out of the U.S., it's largely been positive, Gary, but I'm not sure if it's actually positive results um knocking the ball out the park or if it's just that uh, expectations are so low at this point oh, well uh, we did see uh, like uh, i think earnings uh, the earnings growth expectations are ju just about five percent uh, so so not not expecting uh, you know for s p 500 companies at least so so not expecting uh, a huge amount and we did see analysts obviously tempering their forecasts going into uh, into the start of the uh, start of the season but uh, largely uh, most most companies are beating and uh, i think as you know as as like was saying um it's uh, a matter of new information and, and really i suppose the information that we want to understand is how are these stocks going to fare and how are these companies going to fare in, uh, in a high inflation environment and uh, so far i think the the result has been uh, fairly positive and that's why we we're getting a, a fairly strong movement off those lows but i think it's important to note that uh, you know earnings seasons are normally positive uh, and and like you say it's uh, generally because expectations are, are a little bit lower than perhaps where they should be uh, tammy you mentioned the 75 basis point hike uh, that we got um, from the saab yesterday really really surprising a jaw dropping moment there um do you think that the bank is on the right path to fighting inflation or are they maybe making a policy mistake by front-loading too much in such uh, an environment in South Africa? I think it was a signal. I think the Reserve Bank had to make a signal. They had to let us know where they're at and that they're not going to risk their credibility on inflation targeting uh, for the sake of uh, whatever may be economically or politically at stake at the time. I think uh, they've been very clear that uh, fiscal policy is not their role. Um, they have been staying out of their quantitative easing, uh, easing trend, so the South African Reserve Bank has kept itself outside of printing money. So they have the legitimacy and the credibility which other global central banks don't have to raise rates, and they're clear on it. So this hike was an, a, a, an indication to the market. It was a clear indication to the banks about uh, their lending and how they should manage their credit going forward. It was an indication to retailers and, and all people who supply goods and services to the economy about pushing all the costs to the customer. I mean, ensuring that if they continue that way, there's going to be pain all around. So everybody's going to make more rational decisions and more accommodative decisions around how they manage uh, the pricing, 
supply chain, and as well as credit. Gary, your thoughts? Because, I mean, you look at the Fed, of course, everybody knows that it was a mistake to um, not raise rates sooner. We started earlier than the Fed, and I mean, they literally have a, 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 an economy. They, they fell behind the curve with quite a resilient economy. And we started so early, and now we're going for 75 basis points. Your thoughts on that? I don't know. I think it's always difficult to, to kind of say that, uh, you know, the, the Fed started too late or started too early. I mean, monetary policy is, you know, when you tweak monetary policy via interest rates, uh, the effects are only felt uh, you know, a year to 18 months, sometimes two years after the fact. So, um, yes, they could have potentially started hiking uh, sooner in, in the U.S. at least. But, uh, I mean, I think we've got to remember that the unemployment figures in the U.S. are still very, very robust. And, and mm -hmm. uh, we're, yet to, we're yet to be in a, in a recession. So I think everyone is is kind of almost assuming we're already in a recession in the U.S., but, but the fact is that we're not. I mean, everyone's chatting about stagflation, but the, the fact is if we see a, a decent growth number out, I think it's on the 28th, um, I think you might see a little bit of optimism returning to markets. And uh, the idea that uh, they've been hiking aggressively, I mean, the only way that interest rate hikes work to cool an economy is that uh, it's actually got to kill businesses. It's got to kill spending in the economy. It's got to, it's, it's, it's almost like chemotherapy for, for, for an economy. So um, I don't think we've seen their the, the, the interest rate hiking policy working to the system just yet. And, and I think we're still kind of uh, dealing with the effects of, of monetary policy from, from, you know, 18 months ago. So um, let's, let's see how it plan, pans out. I mean, should we have hiked 75 basis points uh, yesterday? Uh, at least the currency is getting a little bit stronger. But uh, yeah. my sense is that our, <laughs> issues are our, our issues are structural. And, uh, yes. and you know, I, and, yes. and we, we, don't, we, we definitely don't have the same unemployment situation in South Africa that, that, that the U.S. is facing. So, um, you know, making uh, capital more expensive in South Africa, uh, you know, less projects that are viable uh, when you've got an unemployment rate uh, around 35%. Uh, I don't know. I, I kind of would have tended to go with the 50 basis points and try mm. and just keep hold of a little bit of growth. Uh, given, given this <laughs> okay, oh, yeah. I, I get that. But I think on the base of it all, what I'm getting from the both of you is, you know what, let the Reserve Bank do what it needs to do, which is in, you know, price stability, inflation targeting. And then we just need to, uh, yeah, the rest of the government organs need to do what they need to do in order uh, to stimulate economic growth structurally. Um, Tammy, um, there's a question here. Um, where is the panel on the debate on Netflix? Just obviously we were talking about U.S. earnings and uh, Netflix is uh, yeah, surprised to the upside, uh, particularly with uh, earnings and also with uh, subscriber growth. Uh, well, actually losses rather. Uh, they had less losses than uh, we had uh, anticipated. Um, was this enough to um, you know, shut down the naysayers? Uh, unfortunately, no. Um, the reason is twofold. The first is uh, the cost of content for Netflix is ridiculously higher than some of its competitors, especially Disney. Um, so secondly, the competition is also quite. When Netflix started, they had a blue ocean in front of them. They, they were alone. They developed a concept and they, they went full in and became market dominant. Uh, now there are other people who seen that their, their market is existing. And they are also going into that space, specifically Amazon and Disney, both of whom have also got very big balance sheets. And Disney, on top of that, has proven market content. Um, whereas Netflix, yeah, they're coming to learn that not all content is quality content and not all content will drive users and subscribers. Whereas, on the other hand, Disney knows for a fact 
that a lot of their titles are going to attract people to their platform. So I think Netflix's uh, next challenge will be how to produce quality content in an efficient and cost-managed way. And I think the partnership with Microsoft is going to start bringing that into bear. Yeah, I also think uh, that partnership is probably a first stage in a potential takeover of Netflix by Microsoft uh, to, to sort of bring them into uh, the space and give Microsoft access to that space to be able to compete with Amazon. Uh, we've got to make peace with the fact that in terms of, of SaaS technology, Microsoft is the leader. So I think we Netflix, all in all, has proven to be resilient, but we've got to acknowledge that not all content they've produced is great, and they've spent a lot of money producing it. Yeah, and they're really punting their content. Uh, just before the show, I was going through my emails and they'd sent me <laughs> an email saying that, watch <laughs> out, the gray man is coming. So, <laughs> of course, uh, uh, they're launching it today on the platform. Um, Gary, just on mm. Netflix, I mean, is, is it because you look at how the market reacted and it was a really good reaction. But is it a case of the market didn't really pay attention to the fine print? Because I was reading uh, an analysis and, you know, just on subscribers, they were actually saying Netflix actually lost more customers in their bigger markets like the U.S., uh, Europe, uh, Middle East and Africa. And then they only um, had meaningful growth in subscribers um, in Asia Pacific, which is not uh, quite a small market for them. Yeah, I don't know if the market's getting it wrong, but I think I think it all comes down to, to pricing. So, so, I mean, Netflix was off about 75% uh, for the year. So, I mean, you, 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 there's been a significant drawdown in the stock price. And uh, and, and mm. that that uh, share price uh, movement uh, was obviously predicting, uh, you know, a, a fairly large subscriber loss. I mean, I think they were looking for about 2 million lost subscribers. They they got just under a million subscribers lost. So, it was a it was a big improvement uh, on, on what people thought. So, I think you've just got to be careful when you're looking at earnings announcements and in the reaction after uh, after earnings. So, I mean, an 8% rally sounds wonderful when you read it in the headline, but uh, in the context of a 75% fall first, it doesn't look quite as good. So, um, you know, earnings you know earnings announcements, uh, stocks will react quickly. And I think it's, it's probably better to take a, a longer-term view on Netflix and and see where, where is their competitive advantage going to come for, from in future. And as Tommy was saying, the, the, the content wars are, are really heating up. And unfortunately, Netflix, uh, you know, as, as just a... Uh, a retailer of content, um, I think it's going to struggle. I mean, if you look at Amazon Prime, Amazon Prime can, can run Amazon Prime at a loss forever. Um, mm. It's just about engagement. It's just about getting hold of that community so that they can sell them the, the, the Prime subscription services so that they can sell them, uh, you know, millions of products through their marketplace uh, and, and all other things that Amazon does. So, um, you know, you look, at, uh, you look at something like Disney as well. Their content used to sit on, on, on Netflix and, and they obviously with the, the launch of Disney Plus have removed move their content, making it even more difficult for, for, for Netflix to compete. And it seems the response that Netflix has made to, to a very, very uh, tough uh, environment is that uh, they're on the cusp of launching an ad-supported, cheaper version of their platform. Now, you know, when, mm. you, when you start discounting, that's just a, a sign of a business for me in trouble. And, uh, and I'd be very, very concerned. I mean, yes, there probably is some value down 70, 75%. You probably would expect a little bit of a stock rally. And I'm not saying you should go and get it out of your portfolio now. But, you know, if you see another 20, 30 percent in Netflix uh, from here, would definitely be dumping the stock. I, I don't think the company is going to look good longer term. Um, unless, of course, we can get that Microsoft. Unless we can get the Microsoft partnership and they can use and they can yeah. use it not to sell content but to sell Microsoft services. Yeah, they have. Yeah. To have, a, they, have they, they need a big brother. That's the only way forward. Mm. Yeah, um, that's the way it's going. I think. Yeah. I, I, 
I mean, yeah. So, I mean, looking at where it's come from, it's now at around uh, two, 200 per share. Um, Tammy, if you were to go into it now, is it just for a, a patient investor? And would you say that if an investor does believe in the growth story of Netflix, this is the right time to go in? Um, I don't think Netflix does have a growth story at this stage. I think okay. the story they have is they've got a, a world-class service with great content and good customer base and are going to inevitably be bought out by Microsoft, Google, Facebook, or the likes. I think yeah. it's just a, it's an inevitability. Um, you can't spend 20 billion on content uh, uh, ad, ad infinitum um, yeah. and expect to be a great company. There's a question here on the panel's view on uh, NetBank. So, yeah, they had a trading update out sometime during the week saying, I think that they expect earnings uh, to be up more than a fifth. Um, yeah, uh, Gary, would you be going for NetBank um, in this environment and also in that banking complex? Uh, I think yeah, NetBank is, is kind of our, our, our sec second tier, second choice bank. Uh, we prefer first round of NetBank, just uh, better better uh, ROEs. Um, but yeah, I think NetBank is a very very decent business, and I think it's it's uh, you know it avoided some of the, the technical issues that some of the other banks uh, have faced. Now, um, you know, you look at it. Uh, obviously, a rising interest rate environment will be you know through the endowment effect will be uh, fairly positive for for banking stocks uh, as they get that margin expansion. But again, I think you need to look longer term. Uh, you know, with with uh, much higher interest rates, um, there is that kind of initial initial impact that helps to boost banking earnings. Mm. Um, and it is a you know for me a, a fairly good place to hide in a very difficult market. But uh, longer term, banks will always be uh, reliant on the, on the growth in the underlying economy. And if we're going to be hiking at seventy five basis points, I think. Uh, Growth is going to be very, very tough, and uh, no, I, I think uh, you know Nedbank. Obviously, you know, out, out of all the banks, uh, you know, its CIB uh, division is particularly good. But uh, I think you know, higher cost of capital, fewer deals, fewer projects. We've already seen M and A uh, dropping off as well. So I think I think good good results for now. But uh, you know, just let's let's keep a very close eye on on growth numbers uh, uh, to kind of inform our decisions going forward. Yeah, I was actually thinking about that as well. We saw after the MPC meeting yesterday, the financial, um, uh, the Fini 15 was up more than 2% yesterday. And of course, yeah, they are due to benefit from the high interest rates, but then um, how are they going to fare in a slowing economy? Um, Tammy, your thoughts on NetBank? Um, it's a no for me. Um, I think <laughs> if, if I look at the loan book, if I also look at, uh, CIB is a lumpy earning business, uh, so you have to look at personal and business banking. Uh, you've got to look at mortgage, business credit, and where it's going now. It's going to be a hard, 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 hard time. Uh, they don't have the size of the other banks um, in terms of assets, so it, it's going to be difficult for them cost of capital-wise, in our view. Uh, and then I think, uh, thirdly, um, it's quite a competitive area, so they compete with very, very big boys. Uh, First Trend is a big boy. Standard Bank is a big boy. And as a result of that, it gets, it gets tricky to attract um, the right customers who will bring in the right business at the right time. So I, I, my view is, although the, the, the numbers look good initially, I think over time it's going to wash out when uh, credit, credit starts being an issue, especially consumer credit, uh, and also when business starts being an issue where working capital cycles are changing, Capital becomes more expensive, so I, um, yeah. I don't see a, I don't see it as a great stock. As a, it's a great business, but not a great stock. Ah, uh, okay. Um, 
talk about consumers. Um, Gary, Mr. Price, it's been a firm favorite this week. Um, and I think also their deal with Studio 88 got approved by the Competition Commission this week. Uh, what is Mr. Price doing right in that uh, apparel uh, retail sector that, I don't know, uh, other retailers aren't really catching on to? Well, I think they, they, they've got a very good market position. So the, the idea that they are fashion, like they're a value fashion brand, but uh, they're, not, they're not targeting necessarily the, the most indebted and, and, and the, the lower LSM consumers. They're actually targeting, you know, fairly, fairly wealthy people that are looking to save, mm. save money. And, and, Interesting and, point. And buy on a budget. <laughs> and, mm. and I mean, that's a, that for me is exactly where you want to be in, in the current environment. You want to kind of have the resilience of the more affluent customer that you want him to be concerned uh, about, uh, kind of watching watching the purse strings and making smart decisions so um uh, and that's kind of the environment that we're, we're at, like operating in at the moment i mean from from an operational point of view i mean mr price is is absolutely solid they've got their kind of omni channel uh, uh offering and uh, i think their their digital sales are, are just increasing every every reporting period so i think uh, of of all the the apparel retailers in south africa i think they they're the ones that are, are probably getting them getting it the most right very interesting that Gary actually says it's for, you know, um, consumers that are all right uh, when you look at the purse, but they just want to spend on a budget. Uh, they want to ball on a budget. Uh, Tammy, um, then how you, then do you look at um, Pepco that's also packaged as, you know, uh, bringing a value offering? Um, do you think that's going to have more headwinds than Mr. Price? Yeah, I think Pepco... Pepco is targeting uh, the lower LSM market largely, yeah. um, so so they are into the volumes game. Whereas uh, whereas Mr. Price is quite niched in their offering, and they also are not growing ridiculously. So when they make an acquisition, when they bring on something new or they bring on a new market product, they've done a lot of homework in doing so. So they've managed how they grow. They've managed as well where they are in their store. So if you look at their store spread, they're not in every mall, in every place all the time. They, they manage where they are. They manage the population they are addressing. And, and they, they, they target themselves and price themselves in a manner where you're just uh, the PEPCO, but they're just, you, know, as a, you, you have to be in the middle class per, per se to really appreciate what they bring to the table. Um, so I think it's in, the, the difference is the target market, their pricing, and also their, their growth strategy, which is very well managed in, in our view, where they don't go out and acquire, they don't go out and spread stores. They look carefully, they do their research and make sure when they enter a certain market like Mr. Price Sport or any other market they enter, they enter it with caution and they do it in a well-managed manner. Mm. Uh, there's a question here. Um... Uh, in your opinion, has the resources slash mining stocks hit the bottom or is there more downside to come? <laughs> Gary, are they actually up today uh, by quite a lot. Gary? I wish I, I wish I knew the answer to that. <laughs> um, yeah, we, we all so wish you had a crystal ball. Yeah, if, um, <laughs> yeah, if, uh, yeah, so I think, I think uh, maybe important to understand uh, is that, uh, you know, commodity cycles are very, very long term. So, so you know, the bottom for when the short short term medium term mm. long term i think you know i think there can be a lot more pain a lot more downside um especially if we do go into a recession uh if if we see uh, you know global growth really dropping off 
um, I think there can be a lot more pain in commodity prices. Uh, you, you've seen, you know, just an incredible run up and we've seen sort of a correction. Um, but I don't think we've seen a, a change into the cycle yet. So we, we might easily get a bounce back. And I mean, I saw, I saw a note out this morning that was uh, more constructive on, um, on iron ore uh, out of China for, for the first time in a while, just saying that uh, the stimulus out of China uh, is going to kind of uh, fuel that infrastructure spending. And, and you might see, you, you know, the, the likes of iron ore doing particularly well. Um, you know, that you might get a, a re-rating there. I mean, but commodities is such a broad thing. I mean, I mm. think there's there's good commodities and there's bad commodities. If you're going into <laughs> something like battery technology, I think a lot of the froth has come out of those uh, those investments. Like, um, so so looking looking at some of the the, the battery minerals that that could be interesting now with uh, with the little sell off that we've seen. Uh, I still think energy. I don't know energy. Energy is a little bit difficult for me as well. Mm. Uh, but we've seen a moderation, but a lot of that has been strategic petroleum reserves. It's been deals with Russia. Um, I think uh, the, the actual capex in, in the oil markets hasn't been there. And uh, I don't think we're close enough to EVs yet. So I think uh, volatility is still going to be the name of the game. I think oil, oil could be all over the place. I mean, I think long term, uh, we expect it to kind of return to between 70 and $90 a barrel. But uh, that's not to say it won't go to $150 a barrel first. So mm. um, you know, a, a lot, a lot and, and very difficult to, to predict. But I think iron ore, battery metals, uh, maybe not oil. Yeah. Yeah, a lot to consider there. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, let's go into telecoms. Uh, there's a question here on uh, Vodacom. Uh, what's the panel's view uh, on Vodacom with the whole MTN and telecom deal? They actually had an update yesterday uh, talking about revenue growth, uh, some pain in Tanzania when it comes to financial, uh, their fintech business. Um, yeah, Tammy, Vodacom. Bullish or not in the tel telcos uh, sector? Uh, at this point, neutral. Uh, neutral in the sense that wait and see. I think uh, what Vodacom is really trying to do is move away from being just a telco to being a fully-fledged digital business. Um, and I think there's, there's, there's merit in that, and I think there's scope in that. Uh, however, how they roll it out and how they go about doing it is going to be the key element, which is, again, part of what uh, the MTN transaction is really about, is that PCX... And the, and, and the businesses around that, that enable it to evolve out of just uh, call and data to more uh, a platform and a holistic app. Uh, Vodacom is really trying to put together a marketplace app and they want to really drive their business that direction. Mm -hmm. So I think at this stage, neutrality is on our end. We, we don't have necessarily a down view or an up view. Um, we think it will perform uh, if they manage to execute what they're doing well. Uh, but to be able to do that, we need to see them actually address the market with that kind of data, uh, with that kind of platform and make it work. Um, and with the MTN Telecom deal, I genuinely will be surprised if uh, the Competition Commission permits that deal to go through. Mm. I think there's a lot, there's a lot there that uh, MTN will benefit from that will just price out Vodacom. It took forever for, 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 for the sale of Neotel to happen. So many people knocked on that door. Yeah. And again, the competition commission shut that down. So I'll be very surprised, but, um, you know, uh, Putuman Sego is a smart man. He may be able to pull something off. Mm. All right, let's get to your stock picks uh, for today. Gary, what will it be? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm going with a, okay, so I'm going with a NASDAQ growth node structured product. So I actually just priced this just before the show. So 
Um, it's really simple. Um, instead of buying a NASDAQ ETF, uh, you just buy a, a structured product on the NASDAQ. Now, um, the difference is this will be uncapped. So just like uh, an ETF, uh, if, if it goes up, it'll go up, mm. um, except you get 104% participation. So you actually get more. You get, you'll get 4% more performance uh, by buying the credit note rather than the, than the underlying ETF. At the same time, you'll also get 30% downside protection. So if the NASDAQ hasn't finished its fall, um, and uh, you think it might potentially be down, say, 20% uh, over the next five years, and you want to uh, protect yourself from that outcome, um, you will get all your money back. So because of that 30% capital protection. So um, the now, well, obviously, with structured products, you, you, you normally lose the dividends. But with 104% participation, the NASDAQ uh, at the moment is a very low dividend yield. It's uh, under half a percent. Um, so you'll be more than compensated by the ex extra participation on the upside. And uh, yeah, you've got, and it's a five-year note, so you've got basically five years to, to see if the view plays out. Very interesting. Uh, tell me on your side, your stock pick. Um, I'm, very, I'm simpler than him. Um, <laughs> I'm betting on the Chinese consumer, Pin Duo mm -hmm. Duo, it's a marketplace uh, app and, and transaction uh, platform. They, they are well-positioned, growth well, bringing in great customers, and I think it'll do well going forward. Mm. All right. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen, for your time and uh, just uh, answering those questions for us. So that's it for Stockwatch this week. Thanks to my guests, Gary Boyson from Rancis and Tamsang Laneta from Shiloh Capital. From Mizunati Kuma and the rest of the team, have a great weekend.